0: Today's show is sponsored by ObservePoint. That moment when executives, peers, competitors are questioning the data analysts and scientists' reports, their job and credibility are in question. ObservePoint gives data professionals confidence in their data and insights by automatically auditing your data collection for errors across the entire website, testing your most important pages and user paths for functionality and accurate data collection alerting you immediately when something goes wrong tracking your data quality and QA process over time you can request a demo at www.observepoint.com forward slash analytics today to learn more about observe Point's full data governance capability again that website is www.observepoint.com forward slash analytics today
1: Thank you for joining analytics today a podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world i'm your co-host jeremy roberts and with me always is samir khan what is up samir
0: jeremy happy new year this is our first podcast for 2022 so i'm really excited i know i'm
1: excited too and here's the most exciting part um it hasn't there's no big freeze here in texas
2: i know that's, so far
1: so good <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's the one thing But yeah, I mean, it's good. It's exciting. We're starting to be able to get out more. Hopefully, pandemic stuff starts to come to its end this year. This is the year. Crap, I shouldn't have said that because now it's not going to be the year. We'll see. Fingers. Yeah,
0: at least it's not as crazy. You know, we have started to figure out how do we live our lives with it. Yes. Uh, You know, people, if they... Catch COVID, they're gone for a few days. They're back. It's just part of the life. It's normal. like chicken
1: pox. Everybody should just yeah. get it and get it done with, and let's herd, let's herd immunity to this thing, right. right? But at the end of the day, companies still have to go on, and one of the most important products out there has always been, it's always been Google, right? If you know how to use Google and you know how to effectively, or if you don't know how to use Google, there's always some great Google partners out there that you can use, and that's my segue into our. Our guest today, the esteemed John Horn. Welcome, John. Jeremy Smith, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, let me give you the intro, um, talk about you real fast, and then we'll go into the questions. So, John Horn is the CEO of Stub Group, it's a premier uh, Google partner ranked by Google in the top 1% of all Google partners worldwide for performance and customer care. John is a published author digital marketing trainer, and a speaker. You basically fit the nerdery of this group. Fantastic, John. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. So let, let's start off. We, we always like to start off with career stuff. So if you think about it, um, our listeners um, cover a wide range of people. We have brand new junior marketers who are just getting in the field, possibly in college, possibly in graduate school, and you know, they want to learn about your career path. They want to learn like, how did you get there? Because everybody has that aspiration of dream of owning their own business up until they realize that, oh my God, I have to work all day and I have to work all night and I have to work every weekend. And sometimes I don't have to, I can't pay myself because I have to pay my employees. And then they realize the joy of owning your own business is actually more difficult than they think but um then we also have the the high end spectrum of executives who listen to this so it's important for you to really showcase you know your career because people just want to learn they're they're interested in this so let's start off with you've had an interesting career you started off in the retail world you moved to digital marketing into a leadership role let's talk about this journey
2: yeah, absolutely. Uh, so like you mentioned, started out with kind of you know low-level low, low level entry job in the retail space, worked for small publishers, things here and there. Really got into the digital marketing space um, close to a decade ago now when Stud Group, uh, the company that I'm currently CEO CEO of, started out. And the way that we started back in the day was uh, two guys, uh, Tim and Mark, started the company when they saw this, this market need, where we have so many companies who are making that transition from traditional advertising to mm-hmm. digital advertising. Um, and sometimes it's easy to forget even now, how much of a transition just 10 years ago was still taking place with so many people realizing, oh, customers, they're going online. We need to go online in order to, to greet them and meet them and make them our customers. Mm-hmm. And so there were already lots of solutions, kind of agency solutions to help businesses navigate the world of good Google and Facebook and the other platforms at that point. But we saw, uh, frankly, way more market need than there was expertise to help businesses with that. And so if we formed Stub Group to really fill those gaps that we were seeing and help people, you know, manage their advertising effectively.
1: So let's append to that conversation or to that question, then I'll uh, give it over to Samir so it doesn't sound like I'm talking the whole time. (laughs) But um, a lot of times when people have moves in their careers and, and what, I, I usually like to ask the question around either good mentors or really bad influences or those people that just were, were terrible and caused you to completely change direction. And uh, then you got into, you know, what I mean? you, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's, yes. It, it, was there anybody that was just amazing in your, your career that encouraged you to move from, you know, just basic retail jobs into digital marketing, like got you excited about it or was that person that, you know, it was so bad that you're like, I'm not going to do this
2: anymore. 100%. Yeah, those those two guys I mentioned, Tim and Mark, who started Stub Group and brought me on as the first full-time employee, and they're still you know, active investors in the company. To this point, they were crucial in in helping me make that change and then helping to mentor me over the years to get to the point where we are now.
1: Nice. Very cool. Very good. So Samir,
2: go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: it's that's interesting. And I was kind of uh, looking at your LinkedIn profile, kind of studying some of the work that you have done not only as a part of Stub Group, but also individually. And, and I kind of stumbled upon this uh, recent article that he wrote, particularly about, uh, which I'm personally very fascinated about, like consumer buying behavior and the pricing strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so what intrigued me, and you know, there, there are a few questions that I want to ask you about it. So first off, if you can go a little bit more deeper and explain what this pricing strategy and buying behavior analysis is that you guys did at Subgroup.
2: Absolutely. So that's something that was originated because of a question from a client came to us. It was a new new business starting out. They had a price point for their products in I think the $40 to $50 range. And they're trying to figure out, hey, how long should we expect it will take for people between when people start seeing our advertising for these products and when we should expect to see orders coming in. And so we looked across a bunch of data across a bunch of our clients and was very curious to see how does price point correlate with that time lag between seeing advertising and making a purchase? And what we found was on average, the lower that price point is, the more of an impulse buy there is, not surprisingly, the more quickly uh, customers tend to make that decision to make a purchase. And then the the larger the price point is, larger really the average order value, um, the longer it takes for that decision to be made by the customer.
0: Gotcha. And, and so with regards to that, and again, going back to the idea of pricing strategy, what I noticed is uh, in that analysis you got did, uh, usually you're seeing that the average order value is under 200. And is that by design or basically you're focusing as a company only on a customer that are selling average order value 200 or less, or that's typically what you see in, in the spectrum? <laughs>
2: Great question. We had just more data points in that range, which is why we focused on it in the analysis. Uh, we do have clients who have average order values much higher than that. And we did some analysis of those as well. And, and they generally did track and trend with that idea of the higher the average order value, the longer it takes for people to um, to convert. But we just, we, we stuck with that dollar threshold because of the amount of data we had to work with there. Okay, uh,
0: and, and so with regards to that, uh... You know, when you look in Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics or any of the analytics platform, they always tell you the time it takes for the buyer from their first interaction to actually completing the purchase. Mm -hmm. Uh, How if let's say if your analysis is saying that if the average order value is maybe $100, then the users usually complete the transaction in the first day. How do we make this data actionable? I mean, it's very interesting data, but how do you recommend to make this data actionable?
2: Yeah, I think a big way that we use that data when working with our clients is in helping them to more accurately make decisions about the effectiveness or lack thereof of the advertising they're running we're managing for them. So a great example would be if we're working with a client and let's say we're looking month over month, we're looking at last month and it's a couple of days into, into January and we're looking at December, for example. Well, if we know that their average um, you know, time lag before someone places an order is maybe a week. Well, we know that we can't yet make full decisions about what performance looked like in December because there's still money, still orders going to be flowing in from the ad spend that we spent in December that haven't been captured yet. And so when we're looking at tests, whether it's ad copy or campaigns or channels or whatever, it's really important to, to grasp that reality and factor that into decisions that we then might make to say, oh, hey, this isn't working, or oh, our, our month was worse year over year. Was it really? You know, let's make sure we actually have the full data before making that decision.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that's, that's great. Uh, Jeremy, you want to go for the next one?
1: Yeah, I, I think I want to I ask about maybe your customer base. I'm just curious because, you know, a lot of times I, I bring up this rule about the 60-30-10, right? Um, the 60% of companies out there don't know what they're doing. They need <laughs> a lot of help, right? Um, they're trying to keep their head above water they're testing out things they they understand that wow if i effectively use google i can make a difference right then there's a 30% of companies are trying it they may need help with a partner still but they're still figuring things out but they're kind of a sweet spot because they get the value and they're willing to pay for the value then um, you know then there's the 10% they get it you don't have to help them they, they where do you see your sweet spot you know with with Stub Group? I mean, is it really more that 60 or is it more that 30?
2: Our ideal client is definitely going to be more than that 30 where we are able to view ourselves or have the client view us as a, an extension of their marketing arm and where we're able to leverage the insights they have because they're always going to understand their target audience, their business model like better that. than we will. And we know the marketing platform. So we want to try and marry those two things. And that's where we see the best success for our clients
1: fantastic and with those I mean it 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 sounds like a true partnership so when you're going in there they're like okay John we're gonna bring you in um are gonna have somebody from your team they're basically going to sit in on some meetings mm. and so on so it's a true like systems integration exactly That's, I like that I like that and, and with that do you do you see more success with companies that are willing to accept really a, an intake of a personnel onto the team or, or do you see it uh, i guess where do you see it working and not working
2: yeah, typically the best scenario is where we get that buy-in from the client and where they're they're open to that feedback. And often with our clients, it's a process. It's a process of us building trust and educating clients too in the marketplace. Often when clients initially come to us. They, I mean, sometimes they don't have a great grasp of their own business numbers and, you know, what, what is ROI? What should I be aiming for? You know, what are my margins? How does that impact things? And so sometimes we have to have kind of those basic conversations and help them figure out what even their goals should be um, from there. I completely
1: agree. Because for me, sometimes you got a level set on terminology. Um, You got to level set on what it means because they could have used internal terminology that means completely the wrong thing. (laughs) And (laughs) I think
0: different business levels, uh, people in different levels of business, they have different understanding of the terminology as well. So yeah, I completely agree. I think leveraging uh, the terminology differently is is critical and important for how do you interact with your clients because every every client is not going to be the same.
1: Completely different, yeah. So it's pretty cool. I I think the the ambiguity of it or even just the excitement of not knowing what you're going to get that's always a fun part because then it's, it's not just, Hey, we're going to get the same type of customer over and over. So, all right. So, uh, so how is the paint search uh, landscape changing and uh, what are some of the best practices that our listeners can use to stay up to date and, uh, and efficient?
2: Yeah. A couple of ways page searches is, is changing. Um, one is increasing automation coming out from Google and Microsoft, and I'll, I'll throw Facebook in there as well, even though it's not really search, but on the page social side. All the big platforms are trying to leverage their machine learning as much as possible not only in how they display results and ads, but also in how they help advertisers manage their own campaigns. Um, not to get too nitty gritty, but you've got things like performance max campaigns rolling out on the Google side, smart shopping campaigns have been around for a while, lots of automated bidding strategies. Mm-hmm. And so a big thing right now is um, advertisers and agencies understanding the the value of automation as well as the limitations and figuring out the best way to leverage automation to do things humans simply can't do at scale um, but then also not letting the automation run wild and throw fuel into a fire that's burning in the wrong way so there's uh, you know pros and cons to to that reality uh, how effective is the automation
0: because I've been following the automation for quite some time and mm-hmm. you know every there is like two different spectrums of market Or I say more heavily, they're on non-automation. They like to manage things on their own so they can control their budget, control the conversion, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And there are some few that prefer automation. Where do you think is kind of the sweet spot is here?
2: We try to be on the cutting edge of the automation as much as possible while doing the whole trust but verify thing. So definitely have seen many instances where, especially if it's new automation rolling out, it still has a lot of learning to do. And so we're not going to just trust it and let it run wild for our clients. We're going to carefully monitor it and figure it out. And and if it works, fantastic. If it doesn't work, we're not going to keep pushing it. But at the same time, we have seen great results. I think smart shopping, which is a Google campaign type, is probably one of the best... Um, best examples recently of automation that by and large for most of our clients has done very well. And it's still very important that you have the right manual inputs into that, that you're giving Google correct data to work with, both in terms of the creative, it's displaying people to customers, as well as conversion tracking and the system knowing, oh, hey, this is working or this isn't working. So it still has to be a, a lot of manual input there, but but by and large, I see automation doing doing well for many of our clients.
1: But, so, and, and Samir, let me ask one, and then I'll let you get to the next question. But it's a: uh, Do you feel like you're training more the person or teaching them the process? Because you know it's one of those things to where you can come in with a set of best practices and say, "Hey, me, here's here's how we train about automation. Here's how we train about the the usage of the tool, and so on." So you can be, you know, self sufficient. Here's how to run reports, and so on. That's training process. But at what point do you feel like you have to step over that that Barrier of training process and actually go in and have to retrain people. I mean, is that is that part of the process too? Or
2: yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to to mindset. So let's say the team members that we're looking looking for to have on our team to help our clients, we're looking for people who a are very adaptable because mm-hmm. things are changing so quickly and the automation itself is changing so quickly yeah. that you could say, oh, hey, I love this particular campaign type. Well, too bad, Google's sunsetting that next month, and here's a new one. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to be yeah not just grumpy about that but say okay cool let's figure out the new one and and get um you know get a leg up on our competitors that are slow to adopt and then also again help explain to clients if there are limitations and what we can do you know if its client is saying for example hey what are the search terms we're showing up for and google literally won't tell you in some of these campaign types you have to explain that and walk through those realities and then still help the client realize but hey If this is working for you, if this is helping us better hit your objectives, it's okay to not have this data. Makes sense. Cool.
0: That's fantastic. And kind of segueing into the privacy, right? Because it's uh, with the changing landscape of not only paid search and Google, but also changing landscape of data. Uh, What are your thoughts on data privacy and the kind of deprecation of the third party cookie? And people are also now questioning about like whether cookie is going to be the long-lasting thing, first-party, third-party, doesn't matter. What, what are your thoughts about that?
2: Yeah, it's something that I'm spending a lot of time researching and thinking about because it has a tremendous impact, obviously, on any kind of targeted advertising and, uh, and performance tracking in the digital advertising space. Uh, I see a definite trend. It's already started and it's only going to continue in, in my perspective of uh, moving away from cookies, moving away from some of the abilities we have right now to do targeting. Um, Google is definitely working on that with, you know, in theory, they're going to be removing cookies from Chrome at some point. They just recently announced that they are killing uh, Flock, which was the program they were working on to replace that. Now they're going to test something new out. I think they're calling it um, uh, content topics, something along those lines. Hmm. So there's still a lot of unknowns, frankly, in this space, as people are, or as the, the big tech companies are figuring out what they can get away with and what, uh, what they can, what they can do. But I think that the best way for marketers to prepare for that is a get as much first-party data as you can, you know, getting your own email lists, getting your own abilities to reach out to customers separate from reliance, say on Facebook or pixels, etc., is, is very, very helpful. Um, and then also again, thinking through and, and testing, um, not just not just relying on let's say the pixel says x y and z but really running bigger tests to see okay if we put money invest money into this channel or into this strategy looking at the totality of say the orders coming in or the revenue or whatever how is that being impacted and how is that needle moving because i do think we're going to have um more limitations to our tracking in the next couple years than we have currently
0: well, so the, you kind of segue into the next question that I have that I was going to talk to you about. was well, So the landscape of tag management is changing. You know, Google Tag Manager, they started with the uh, basic uh, Google Analytics Tag Manager, and then they had the Google Tag Manager product, and they connected, you know, kind of have integration between those two. So where is Google heading with all of this? And, and I know you have a tag management certification, so you probably have more insights into it that you can highlight or uh, listeners to.
2: Yeah, I think Google is still very incentivized to be the channel by which people can get tracking codes onto their website because it also enables Google to... Um, to fight some of the the issues with cookies so For example, you've got a conversion linker that you can install through Google Tag Manager, which helps to refresh the frequency with when cookies are added to a website, which then increases the likelihood that you're gonna be able to track that, uh, that person, especially if it's something say like Safari, a browser there where they have limitations on how long cookies last. So I think Google is very incentivized to keep being that solution through Google Tag Manager, through Google Analytics, and, um, and hold people captive as much as possible in their ecosystem so that they can keep proving the value of the ad dollars you're spending on Google. Um, and if you're comparing that to, for example, investment on Facebook, where maybe it's harder to track ROI because of how they've been impacted by the iOS updates on the Apple side, well, you might spend more money on Google if you can track those results. And so Google wants to make sure that they're making that as easy for you as possible. Great.
1: Well, let's, uh, let's move over into, I guess, uh, talking about Stub Group. So, you know, you, you guys have a set of product services that you're offering today. You know, where do you see the company going to? Is it, is it something where you, you feel like you constantly have to How do I say it? evolve with the industry? right? I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. as Google evolves, you have to evolve. (laughs) That would be funny if you didn't, right? (laughs) But, um, you know, it's one of those things to where, is there a space that's opening up? You know, is there an expansion to where you're like, you know what, this is becoming to be really hot. And I I think this is where it's going. Because I mean, Mm -hmm. Samir and I have talked about even our predictions podcast episode, we always talk about up and coming new things. And you know, it's uh, voice search and, and and all the different types of search and um, just the integration of search into IoT. Th- those
2: mm-hmm. are big things.
1: So where do you see this going?
2: Yeah, it's one of the the beauties and dangers, honestly, of the digital advertising space and just digital ecosystem is you there are so many different things you can do, even just in marketing and advertising to help a business, that you have to make a choice as an agency, a choice that we've had to make of How much do you do? Do you try to be the jack of all trades, say yes to everything to your clients and figure it out? Or do you focus on particular areas of expertise? And I think there's a good case to be made for either approach. The approach that we've always taken is to try to be the master of what we do and to be very, very focused on pay-per-click advertising, so paid search, paid social, et cetera. And so my goal as we continue to evolve Stub Group and help our clients is to retain that type of focus and only do things that we're really good at but then also realize that the way in which the channels allow for that service to be provided, like you said, is constantly evolving. And yeah. so sometimes that's new platforms like TikTok, for example, which mm-hmm. is massive as a platform now. And is something that I see a lot of advertisers going to be adopting this year, um, those who haven't already adopted. So sometimes it's new channels like that. Sometimes it's, it's things like Amazon, for example, where yeah. helping, even if it's not Specifically, advertising. There is an advertising component to Amazon, which we do. But even above and beyond that, it's also helping clients with um, getting their their product listings up there, with you know, testing imagery and video. People all those don't realize it's things. it's
1: what I, I think it's the mm-hmm. second largest search engine in the world. Possibly. Yeah, you got
2: Google search and then YouTube. I think I think and technically it's YouTube's still there, and then and then Amazon. Amazon. And especially <laughs> for anyone looking to purchase something, yeah, I mean, Amazon is is the destination for starting that search.
1: Yeah, so you would think search experts. Um, should have a high value in Amazon search, you know. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. It, it's just one of those things to where, you know, and I'm sure there's conversations you can't have with us because it's proprietary conversations mm-hmm. you've had with, you know, your founders and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's interesting to see the evolution. I mean, we, uh, Samir and I are also big friends of our buddy Scott Brinker. What's up, mm-hmm. Scott? If you're listening, and um, we always talk about the the graphic that he used, starting in 2010 with 150 marketing technology companies out there it was like what 8,000 now is like holy crap <laughs> <That's>
0: crazy <laughs> so
1: it's it's like yeah and I'm wearing a you know an Adobe shirt today right and it's it's one of those things to where it's shocking to see where the industry is going and how the evolution happens and and, and you know there's no right answer I mean I, I think Samir we, we've even seen some some paths to where I, I actually you made this prediction you said this is the year that large corporate companies like Salesforce and Adobe. And so they're gonna gulp, gulp up and acquire all these small businesses. And then you you, you made the recommendation they're gonna acquire a whole bunch of artificial intelligence and machine learning businesses. And they did that, right? And then it was that next round of, okay, that has, that has been done. Now companies like Stub Group are gonna to start to come up, right? And then it's gonna come back and give power back to the people away from the corporations. Then it's going to move into the diversified companies that offer uh, a, a vast portfolio of like 20 different offerings. Then it's going to come back to know we need now companies who offer a single focus. So I like, I have no idea where the hell it's going to go. Ever changing
0: space. You know, it's not like yeah. one thing or the other, it's ever changing and uh, we just have to be on top of it. Like John was saying, it, it's yeah. the landscape is changing. That's why people need companies like Stub Group because these guys are on top of it 24 seven so then, uh, the consumers they can focus on their business and not have to worry about trying to figure out what Google is going to do next, right?
1: I think for the right size company, and for somebody that's hyper focused on search needs, I think yeah, absolutely, Stub Group is is the way to go. I mean, because you, you need that personal touch rather than having a company go in there and say, we can do everything for you with, you know, with just one one fat check, and and we can we can even do your laundry, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> But, you know, I, I absolutely see the value in Stub Group. And I, I think you guys have a long, long runway and a long life in this industry. It's just a matter of, you know, it, and it sounds like you're doing it evolving with Google and evolving with the search field. Because absolutely. if not, I mean, I've had so many people say, well, don't you know the algorithms? Isn't it written down somewhere about what
2: how Google... <laughs> No, dude. Google doesn't even know what Google's going to do.
1: <laughs> no, they they don't even know either. Um. So let's just smear if you want to kind of uh, as we start to wrap. up yeah, I mean, up here. we
0: yeah, yeah, as we get to the the end of it, as uh, we want to you know, again, thank you, John. We we do want to ask you one quick question before we we'll let you go. Is uh, one one question that we ask all of our guests is, uh, can you tell our listeners something interesting about your career, your life that you have never shared on any other avenue or Oh, never on the internet. I know it's a challenging question, but something that's very interesting mm. about yourself.
2: Yeah, it's a great something question. non-incriminating, just <laughs> <you> non-incriminating, <know, laughs> <laughs> safe for the public record. Yeah, you know, one thing I I haven't talked about much publicly, and it's not a shocking revelation or anything, but I, I love to travel and I love to work from other places than home. So you're in example, the right group. You're in the right. Yeah, group. a couple of years ago, I got to go to this tiny little island in Scotland. Worked there for a month and uh, just chill. there's like 140 people who live there and just went to live the local life and yeah that's been cool. to australia nice. places like that so yeah it's that's one of my one of my hobbies
1: so like in yeah. the highlands there right and um, i guess they had good internet at least
2: they did surprising yeah it it worked uh minus the occasional windstorm that would knock things out and you have to get on the ferry but <laughs> besides that it, it, was, it worked well
1: yes samir and i have uh it, it's we have a passion for travel so like if 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 there was a purpose for us to make money to, have, to provide for our families, that secondary purpose would be to travel. Um, I am right there with you. Yeah, very cool. Well, this has been fantastic. Um, let's make sure that people can find you. If they want to reach out to you on LinkedIn, you can go uh, check out John Horn, CEO at Stub Group. Um, what is the website for your company again?
2: Yeah, website is stubgroup.com. That's oh. S-T-U-B is in boy and the word group.
1: Stubgroup.com, pretty
2: easy yeah fantastic
1: fantastic yeah and then reach out to you know like i said it, we always have listeners who who eventually will reach out to you and, you know ask you questions and, and want to follow up and stuff but this has been fantastic thank you again for coming on and again thank you i think it's every week at least or every few days samir and i get a request um to bring somebody onto the podcast so continue with that we've been going now since 2015 strong now 2022. Yeah,
2: it's going to be yeah.
0: Good. we need we need the love. We need the support from the listeners. So uh, we appreciate everything and uh, visit us at the uh, analytics today or on iTunes or any of the famous podcast avenue that you can find us.
1: Absolutely. Cool. John, thank you again. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. Thanks so much. Yep.